Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, we're going to continue talking about the kingdom of God. And it says here in my notes, this is part two. Um, I say that because I've just been studying about it. And, and uh, I don't know what I've shared with you and what I just shared with myself. <laughs> so uh, let, let's just talk about the kingdom a moment. Jesus has risen from the dead. And Acts 1 says that he spent 40 days with his disciples talking of, to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's the end of his earthly ministry. He begins his earthly ministry by saying, God's kingdom's here. Rethink your life. Or as other translations say, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. In Matthew 7, Jesus gives seven parables. Every one of them begins the same way. The kingdom of God is like. In Luke 22, Jesus said, I bestow upon you a kingdom. Christianity is not a way to be forgiven and go to heaven. I mean, it is a result of Christianity, yes. But Christianity is a kingdom. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's not a morality. Christianity is a kingdom. Jesus said, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. In uh, Acts chapter 8, Philip is in Samaria preaching. He says, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. What did they preach? They preached the kingdom. Colossians 1 says, and always thankful to the Father who has made us fit to share in all the wonderful things that belong to those who live in the kingdom, the kingdom of light. And, and by the way, in the weeks that are coming, this is what we're going to be looking at. Notice what it says here. He's made us fit to share all the wonderful things that belong to those who live in the kingdom. Uh, once we understand the kingdom and we understand the, the, the foundation of the kingdom, we can understand those wonderful things that belong to those that are in the kingdom. And there's a whole lot of wonderful things we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. So when God created Adam and Eve, he said to them, look, you subdue the earth, he said, and you have dominion. God gave them authority over the earth. In fact, in Hebrews chapter two, it says it like this. You've made him, man, a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. How many things were under Adam and Eve's feet? All things. In fact, God put him in the garden. It says in Genesis 2.15, and he told him to tend, to guard, and keep it. Tend, guard, and keep. Now, who is he guarding it from? Of course, 
The answer to that is Satan. That's who he's guarding it from. Psalms 115, verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So Adam and Eve literally were God's under rulers over the earth. When Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, they literally bowed their knee to Satan. And when they did, Satan took their position. He usurped their authority. When uh, Satan tempts Jesus in the New Testament, it says he shows them all the, the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomsoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, notice he said all the glory and all of the authority of all the kingdoms of the world, he said, had been given to him. Well, God gave it to Adam, but Adam passed it on to Satan. It's kind of like if, if, if uh, you owned a house and you leased or rented that house to somebody, right? Once you lease the house to them, you actually need their permission to go in. Is that not true? Yes, it is. But what Adam and Eve did when God gave them or leased the earth to them, they subleased to the devil. And literally what ends up happening is God is on the outside looking in. And he needs to get into the earth again. Then we're going to find that the way that he does that is by making a covenant with a man. But the devil said, all this authority has been given to me and I can give it to whomsoever I will. In other words, it's transferable. God gave it to Adam. Adam gave it to Satan. Satan said, hey, if you'll just worship me, I will give it to you. So we find God looking from the outside in. Uh, in Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus said, I give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now we tend to think of it the exact opposite. We think that things first are bound in heaven and then on earth. And things are loosed first in heaven and then on earth. But Jesus said, I'm giving you one of the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He said, whatever you bind on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. It starts first on earth, not in heaven. Jesus said that people here on earth influence heaven. What heaven can and cannot do on the earth is influenced by people. Jesus said it starts on earth and then it's done in heaven. Okay. Jesus didn't say what you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. He said what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So your prayers and the things you bind, the things you lose are important, right? Because your prayers get heaven involved. If nothing happens on earth, nothing's happening in heaven. Now, that is the opposite of the way we tend to think. We tend to think that stuff happens in heaven first, and then it happens on earth. 
But Jesus said one of the keys to the kingdom is understanding that things happen on earth and then they happen in heaven. Uh, how many of you realize that God gets blamed for just about everything that happens? Right? But God's saying, hey, if you want me involved, you need to get involved. Because what you loose, I'll loose. What you bind, I'll bind. Right? In fact, insurance companies have a word for it. They call it an act of God. And really what it is, is it's an act of not having God. Because you and I have not bound and you and I have not loosed. So God's on the outside looking in. Adam and Eve were God's under rulers. We could say they were God's prince and God's princess on the earth. Jesus said this. He, he said, the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. He's talking about Satan. Well, how did he become prince? He took it from Adam. In Ephesians 2, it says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. He said that the prince of the power of the air, the devil, he said that spirit is at work in the sons of disobedience. 1 John 5, 19, we know for a fact that we're of God and the whole world around us lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world around us lies in whose power? The devil's, the evil one. It says, and it goes on, it says, opposing God and his precepts. People wonder, why is, there so much, why is the world in such a mess? It's because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come. Now, if his kingdom was already here, and everything that was happening was what God wanted to happen, you wouldn't need to pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so with that, God's looking from the outside. Satan has usurped man's authority and he has become the prince of this world. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four, in your Bible calls Satan the God, small g of this world. He took that authority from God's man, Adam. So God's on the outside looking and he finds a man by the name of Abram. This is Genesis chapter 12. And he says, I will make you a great nation. First of all, I want to say that that nation is the nation of Israel. No, no doubt about it. But God said to Abraham, your descendants will be like the sand of the sea and they'll be like the stars in the heavens. So he has a natural seed, but he also has a spiritual seed. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that you, you are a holy nation. You're a nation, right? You're a kingdom, right? You're a holy nation, a holy kingdom. And um, theologians, when they interpret the Bible, they refer to this as a double reference, where it has a reference to the natural seed of Abraham, the Israelites, the Jewish people, but there's also a reference to his spiritual seed, right? Which is the church. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you abundantly. I will make your name great, exalted and distinguished. And you shall be a blessing, a, great, a source of great good to others. This is God's foreign policy. I will bless do good for and benefit those who bless you. 
I will curse. That is subject to my wrath and judgment. The one who curses, despises, dishonors, or has contempt for you. And you, and in you, all the families, the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's why we bless Israel. We stand with Israel. Right? We bless the Jewish people. We stand with the Jewish people. God says, I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Right. So God has made Abram a promise. Abraham is 75 years old. He's told him to leave his country. He goes from his area, Ur of the Chaldees. He goes into what is now the promised land, the nation of Israel. And time has passed. And Abraham's now in his 90s and still no child. And by the way, when you get in your 90s and you don't have any kids, you begin to wonder. All right. And God has promised him a child. And he said, Lord God, Genesis 15, verse 8, how shall I know that I'm going to inherit this land? How am I going to know that I'm going to have a son? And how am I going to know that this is going to be the land of my seed? He, said, God, he says to him, look, he says, I have a servant named Eliezer from Damascus. I don't have any. He's going to be my heir because I don't have a child. And God said to Abraham, he said, I want you to take some animals. I want you to cut them in half. Put them on some altars. Now, when I hear that, I think barbecued ribs, right? <laughs> what could be better? But when Abraham heard that, Abraham thought something completely different. Abraham thought covenant. There's going to be a covenant. Now, I've got here from David Livingston's biography. I just want to read you a little part of it. Is Henry Stanley is trying to find Dr. David Livingston in Africa. He's confronted by a particularly powerful tribe that was hindering him from proceeding. The guide who was with him explained that if he wanted to continue his search for David Livingston, he would have to cut covenant with the chief of that tribe. Now, he was not sure what that implied, so he asked the guide to explain what it meant. And he said, well, there'll have to be an exchange of blood and there'll have to be an exchange of gifts. Well, Stanley eventually gets talked into the process. And, and by the way, it's interesting that Stanley did not understand covenant. Right? Most people today in Western culture do not understand covenant. Right? Most people in Western culture enter into one covenant that they know of. Right? By the way, and that is the covenant of marriage. Right? So Jeannie and I get married 45 years ago. And she gave me a hundred bucks, a bicycle, and herself. That was it, all right? But suddenly, everything that I owned belonged to her, right? And everything she owned, a bicycle, a hundred bucks, and a dentist bill, <laughs> was mine. Everything that she owned was mine. Everything I owned was was hers. Now, now, interestingly, listen, as a believer, the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. 
the new covenant. And we'll, we'll probably get in the weeks ahead and we're going to talk about that, that covenant. All right. So he talks, the, the guide tossed Stanley into cutting covenant. Before the blood was shed, they had to exchange gifts. Dr. Stanley was not in good health. And he took a goat with him everywhere he went for its milk. It was about the only thing that he could keep down. And then the chief said he wanted the goat. And Stanley's like, that's my goat. That's my milk. That's my life. But he understood that whatever the chief wanted, he could have. And the chief got the goat. And the chief gave Stanley a tall spear with a copper wiring around it. And Stanley thought this was a bad trade. He thought, what am I going to do with the spear? He said, it's no good to me at all. But the covenant was completed. He journeyed on. The next time his party met someone along the way, a very unusual thing happened. The person they met saw Stanley with the spear and bowed down. That was the first time he began to understand what had happened. The chief had given him the symbol of his authority. And Stanley had been worried about losing his goat. But with that spear, he found out that he could request a whole herd of goats any place that he went. The chief gave him the best after he took from Stanley the best. So Abraham cuts these animals in half and lays them on altars. And, and I've, I've showed you this before, but I know not everybody was here. So the ground is covered with blood. And what the people would do is they would walk and make circle eights around the sacrifices. And while they're doing this, they're making promises to each other. Right? So this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And there's actually a curse that would be pronounced if you don't do it. But they're walking around in the blood, making promises. In the ancient world, you typically made a covenant. It was for your benefit. If you were a farmer, you would probably make a covenant with a warrior because you needed protection. I mean, you knew how to farm, so you needed protection. The, the, the warrior, he knew how to protect, but he didn't know how to raise anything. So once he made covenant with you, any food that you had, he had access to. But any protection you needed, even if it cost the warrior his life, was yours. So... Abraham cuts the animals in half, and he's waiting to make a covenant with God. And the Bible says he fell asleep. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven or furnace and a burning torch that passed between the pieces. So as Abraham is sleeping, a furnace and a torch pass through the pieces, and they're talking to each other, and they're making promises to each other, right? Now, the New Testament tells us who did what. It says, now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So God the Father, the smoking furnace, Jesus, the flaming torch, walked through the pieces in blood 
and make promises to each other. Now, how many of you know whatever they said, it's good? Now, the New Testament says, now, if you're Christ, how many are Christ? Then are you Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise? So the things that were promised as they walk through blood belong to you if you're Christ. If you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Galatians 3, 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So they make promises. They're going to be kept. But when there's a covenant, you've got to be willing to give your best. Years pass. Abraham has the child. The child is now 16 to 30 years old. And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now, what he's testing him is on the promise. He's testing the covenant. Are you willing to give me anything? Will you give me your best? And he said to him, God spoke, and Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there is a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you or show you. So you know the story. Abraham takes his son. They take a three-day journey. They come up to the top of Mount Moriah. We've actually got a picture of it today. Um, In this picture that they are showing you right now, (laughs) we are right opposite Mount Moriah. Uh, Jeannie and I are standing down uh, in in front of that picture, and we've got one of our our tour groups with us. But if you'll look right across from us, you'll you'll see that gold dome, referred to as the Dome of the Rock. It's on today the Temple Mount. And right underneath that dome is the place, and you go there, that's what they're going to tell you, and it's the truth. Right underneath that dome, they will show you the rocks where Abraham stood and was going to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Right? And he's got, his, he's got his knife out. And as he's got his knife out, and he's just about to kill his son. God says, stop. Now, the Bible says that Abraham believed God was going to raise him from the dead. And God says, stop. He says, now I know that you love me. And that you're willing to give everything. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh. Right? How many remember the, that song, Jehovah Jireh? Jehovah Jireh. Now you don't want to hear that, do you? You remember I was asked to quit the volunteer choir. So I, I always remember that. All right. And um, the Bible that says he's the Lord will provide. Um, but he actually said in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. If we could get that picture back up for just a moment. If uh, we were to take that wall, the eastern wall of the city of Jerusalem out of the way, 
just a little bit to the right. You just can't quite see it. It's on my right anyway. And that picture is the Mount of Olives. And right down at the base of the Mount of Olives is the place called Calvary, the place of the skull. It's the place where Jesus was crucified. Right? In fact, if we were to take that wall out of the way, I am, I am not really good at distances like that. But I'm gonna, I've walked it a number of times. I'm going to say that from where Abraham was going to offer his son to Golgotha is, is a quarter of a mile. Right? Now, Jesus said this. He said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Now, he was about to sacrifice his son. But many theologians say this is what happened. He looked to the east. And when he did, on that, that hill, that Calvary, a quarter mile away, he saw a cross. And he saw God sacrifice his son on that cross. And he rejoiced. He rejoiced. He didn't have to sacrifice his son, but he was willing to give his son. So God gave his son because Abraham was willing to give his son. And then God said this. The Lord, I, the Lord, have sworn by myself that because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your beloved son from me, I will bless you with incredible blessings. I will bless you with incredible blessings. The Message Bible says it this way. I swear God's sure word, because you have gone through with this, and did not refuse to give me your son, your dear, dear son, I'll bless you. Oh, how I will bless you. Can you just imagine God going, oh, I'm going to bless you. That's what God did. I mean, he's just said, I'm going to bless you with incredible blessings. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Is this where we're going to go in the next few weeks? All right. The Bible says in Galatians 3, it's one of many places. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. So, so what is going to come on us? The blessing of Abraham. He said, with incredible blessing. Oh, how I will bless you. Right? So those blessings belong to you. If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13 is talking about this very occasion that we've just looked at on Mount Moriah. It's found in Genesis 22. When God had made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater he swore by himself. Now, God's not swearing four-letter words, right? In fact, the, 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 the better word than swear today would be an oath, right? An oath. I watched Perry Mason when I was growing up. Anybody remember Perry Mason? Okay. And a witness would get up there. They put their hand on the Bible, and they say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God. They swore. It was an oath. It's an oath. That's what God did. Because he could swear by no one who's greater, he swore by himself. 
saying, surely I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. Right? And so after he had patiently endured, he, Abraham, received the promise. For indeed, men swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is for all of them an end of all disputes. Thus God determined to show abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, which is impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before. In this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, that which enters the presence behind the veil. So God made this promise to Abraham. And first of all, he said, I'm going to do it. And God can't lie. One immutable thing. But secondly, he swore by himself. Right? Uh, other places in the major prophets, God lifts up his hand and swears. Abraham, Genesis 14, he lifts up his hand and he says, I've lifted my hand before the Lord God that I will take nothing from you, not even a sandal strap, because I don't want you to say that you've made me rich. Abraham said, God, I'm going to let you bless me. And I'm not going to have people blessing me. I'm just going to let you bless me. But God swore by himself. In other words, if God does not keep his word to Abraham and to Abraham's seed, that's you and that's me, God is no longer God. Now, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 13, Jesus is in the synagogue and there's a woman who has a spirit of infirmity who's bent over and can no way raise herself up. Jesus lays hands on her and says, be loosed of your infirmity. And she straightens up. But it's the Sabbath day. And the ruler of the synagogue says, you shouldn't do that on, on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, listen, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. She ought to be loosed because she's a daughter of Abraham. I got some news for you. You're a son and you're a daughter of Abraham. And if you're bound, you ought to be loosed. Because part of the promise, part of the covenant is freedom from sickness and disease. And God not only said it, he swore by it. Right? And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about what does this blessing of Abraham mean? Again, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. And remember, faith is the currency of the kingdom. In Isaiah 7 and verse 9, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. But if you will believe, you will be established. And the promise is to you, to Abraham, and to his seed. All right, let's bow our heads. For just a moment, I tell you, we've got exciting things coming up in the next few weeks. I, I know in a group this size, there's people in every spiritual condition. You've, you've served God, some of you for over a half a millennium, excuse me, a half of a century. Others, 
You're new, to, you're, you're new in your relationship with God. And there's others. You're away from God. You don't know where you stand with God. And there's some. You're just doing the best that you can, but you're on your own. I read this two weeks ago in Psalm 56 in verse 9. This I know because God is for me. You know, you may feel like God is mad, like God is distant, like God is not concerned. You may feel like you, you've offended God to such a degree that there's no help for you. But God, because God is for you, I know that he loves you. Because God is for you, I know, I know that God is reaching out to you. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, today, if there's that tug on the inside in your heart, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. Because God is for you, this is what I know. I know it is not too late for you. The devil will tell you you've done too much, you've gone too far, it's been too long. It's a lie. Because God is for you, I know that John 10, 10 belongs to you. Jesus said the thief, the devil, he comes only to steal, kill and destroy. He says, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Because God's for you, I know that he wants you to have the abundant life that he can provide you with. And because God's for you, I know that what Peter said on the day of Pentecost is true concerning you. He said, be saved from this perverse generation. God wants to save you out of the perverse generation that we're in, and he wants to make you a part of his family, a part of his kingdom. Now, I'm going to ask, if you can, take, take a hand of the person that you came with. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and ask you to pray this prayer out loud. But this is what I know. If you're away from God, you're not right with God, you don't know where you stand with God. If you will pray this prayer from your heart and believe this prayer, when we say amen, you're gonna be right with God. You're gonna be a part of this kingdom. So I'm gonna ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud from your heart. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. He's victor over death, over sin, and over the devil. And he is my king. I am living for him. I thank you my past is gone, that I'm a part of your family, part of your kingdom, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.